Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Taking on the Titans, standing up for the little guy. It's The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Secretary of State today with the IQ comment? No, I didn't undercut anybody. I don't believe in undercutting people. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you still have confidence in Secretary Thank you. Yeah. Yes. The President of the United States won Donald Trump on undercutting his Secretary of State. Rex Tillerson. It all started when there was talk about Mr. Tillerson having called Mr. Trump an effing moron. And uh, that got reported and it was commented on by about everybody. And then Donald Trump tweeted that he would be happy to enter an IQ competition with his secretary of state. Where what Mr. Trump said would be the predictable result. So I've just been watching all of this going on. Bob Corker, the senator from Tennessee, who was a reasonably early supporter of Donald Trump, saying that uh, the White House is uh, daycare and is in, would be in total chaos without adult supervision, and the adult supervision, of course, would be the, uh, the main players around Donald Trump. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what's going on there. Is it totally out of control? Is it partly out of control? Is it totally under control? Are they doing, is it, there's a lot of manipulation taking place of people who are easily manipulated? Sally Quinn was with us yesterday from uh, uh, formerly the Washington Post. And um, she painted an interesting picture of of the White House. You can go back and listen anytime. Just go to uh, the Roy Green Show page on any of the Chorus Radio Station's websites, uh, stations that carry this program, and you can listen back and you can download. With me now is Fran Coombs, Managing Editor of Rasmussen Reports, and uh, Fran was with us uh, almost every weekend leading up to the election for about seven or eight months until the November vote last year, and uh, always really appreciate your insights, Frank. And you under, uh, Fran, you understand Washington far better than most, having been the editor of the Washington Times for, for many years. Was it just an unusual week in Washington or not that unusual? I, I can't recall the last time a president and a secretary of state got into a, who's, who's the smarter publicly, who's the smarter between us? Right. Well, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's hard to say. With Trump, everybody breathlessly wants to say, "Oh, it's it's we've never seen this before." And but I mean, look, there's been political divisiveness as long as as long as man's been on the planet. Um, I just think that Trump Trump Trump's a tough boss. I mean, we did the same. He did the same thing with Jeff Sessions. He wanted him to step up. Um, he he wanted Tillerson to step up. And I think uh, in the age of tweeting and all that, uh, that. 
perhaps the best way to get your people to step up is just to make it publicly clear, hey, I don't like the job you're doing, get tough. So how does this affect... People may disagree with that, but, uh, you know, that's his tool. Yeah, how does this affect Rex Tillerson doing his job? And at what point does a man like Tillerson, who was the CEO of um, uh, Exxon, how how do... He's a very powerful, very wealthy man in his own right. At what point does somebody like Tillerson say, stuff it? And the word is that that's what he was about to do, and then Mike Pence talked him out of it. Well, again, nobody knows that. I mean, that's that's been reported in the media. And I mean, I don't know anybody in America these days that believes anything they see in the media. Um, so we don't know whether that's true or not. I mean, yes, we know that uh, Tillerson's a tough guy, a very successful businessman, very wealthy man, but he's still there. He's still there, and in fact, he's come out and been very supportive of Trump in the last few days. Uh, so uh, apparently... He's still uh, he's still satisfied with the job he's got and still willing to do the job and he's still on the job. What about Bob Corker? How does that all fit into the equation, Fran? You know, Bob Corker is a sad sack. Uh, I mean, if you look at his numbers in Tennessee, uh, he was going to have a very diff- difficult time getting reelected anyway. Uh, and unfortunately, I think for a lot of voters, certainly a lot of Republicans, um, these the guys, the Republicans in the Senate, are a real disappointment. Uh, and Corker's one of them. I mean, these are these are guys who talked tough the whole time Obama was in the office, and then as soon as they got a Republican president, uh, they couldn't agree on anything. And, uh, I mean, Trump, as you know, Trump's been very critical of the, of the Senate Republicans, and a lot of Republicans have been very critical of them. Uh, our polling has shown Roy, repeatedly uh, that Republican voters, you know, two-thirds of Republican voters, uh, think their representatives in Washington are out of step with the party base. Uh, so p- folks are not happy with Bob Corker and company. So how does this then, if, if you look at uh, all the reports that have been out there this week, uh, the, the Tillerson and the, uh, and the, and the uh, Trump story, the, the Bob Corker allegations that the White House is, is a, a daycare organization, the suggestions that there would be uh, total chaos if it weren't being run really by the generals uh, who are uh, assisting Trump. How is all of that playing with the, with the general American public. Are they hearing any of that, or is it only Democrats and Trump haters who are hearing that? Well, I mean, Trump's numbers stay the same. He's in the low to mid-40s, approval-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Trump's supporters hear it at all. And after all, who, who, who named the generals to their top jobs, and who got a lot of criticism for putting military men in those top jobs? Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, thank goodness the generals are there. Well, that's not the way the media felt three, four, five months ago. Um, so I think, look, uh, Trump, uh, Trump. This is this is a climate. I think a political climate that none of us have ever seen before mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the media. The media has completely thrown away any kind of uh, interest in trying to be balanced or credible. Um, a lot of people would say that that has to do with the fact that there are not a lot of older journalists in the mix anymore. You got a lot of young kids now who are who, who make up the Washington press corps. And um, so, who knows what to believe, and who knows uh, who knows if Trump is doing something that others haven't done before? Um, who knows if the reports we're hearing about Tillerson are accurate? I mean, we we heard numerous stories about how Pence was trying to start his own campaign and distance himself uh, from Trump. None of that. Uh, nobody has been able to document that or prove that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we hear stories about Trump all of the time, and two weeks later you don't hear the stories anymore, and they're on to something else. So 
who knows? You know, I keep going back when, when I hear a story about Donald Trump that to me sounds either it's going to be so spectacular that it's going to be unbearingly interesting. Uh, I don't know if that actually works together, unbearingly interesting, but I used it. Uh, if I hear something like that or read something like that, I always go back to one of the first incidents that took place after he became president and was in the Oval Office. And that was the reporter who wrote the piece. I think it was, was it Reuters? That, oh, Donald Trump moved into the Oval Office, and the first thing he did was take away Martin Luther King's bust. Yeah, that was that was Newsweek. And it turned out Newsweek. that there was a guy standing in front of the bust. Yeah, well, the door was blocking it or something like that. Yeah, well, and in the old days, that would have been basically a firing offense. And I, don't, I mean, I never heard that anything ever happened to that reporter at all. I'm not even no. sure that that reporter had to apologize. No, I don't think so. I, so, I, don't, uh, I doubt it. So, yeah, but, but look, when, when you talk about the, the, the parties, the political parties, now, and you talk about, uh, you know, the GOP being unhappy with the other parts of the GOP. The last time I remember a party struggling with its president or struggling with its own component parts when it spilled into the open was when Bill Clinton had that affair with Monica Lewinsky. And it all depends on the meaning of the word is, what the meaning of the word is, is. Um, the the Democrats were so wobbly at that time. Is there any kind of that wobbliness in the in the in the GOP, uh, or is it a are the, the ranks reasonably solid when it comes to you know stepping well, forward and making you know, a public stance? They're not going to impeach him because he hasn't done anything impeachable. You can't just impeach. No, him I've heard. I've heard. I heard impeach. I think the, before he even took office. Yeah, I mean, see, but you ha- he has to do something. You can't just impeach a president because you don't like him. Mm-hmm. But look, Roy, you know, here's history. Bill Clinton got elected in 1992. Two years later, Newt Gingrich and the Republican Revolution came in and took over the Congress for the first time in over 20 years. Mm-hmm. The Republicans took over the House, okay? That was two years into Bill Clinton's Democratic presidency when the Democrats had complete control of Congress for two years. The end result was the American people sent them packing. Okay, under Obama, okay? All you didn't. The media didn't report it like they report on Trump. But look what happened under Obama. The National Democratic Party has been basically was basically destroyed during Obama's eight years in office. They lost both chambers uh, of the of our national legislature. They've lost numerous governorships. They're at like the lowest level of governorships and state legislators that they've been since before FDR, I believe. So Barack Obama was just like a holocaust on the National Democratic Party, but. You never hear that from the national media because they weren't all over Obama. Oh, look, another uh, election's been lost because of Obama's policies. Oh, look, another governorship's been lost because of Obama's policies. Mm-hmm. So I think the real test of the Republican Party and the voters is going to be, let's see the midterm elections. Let's see. That's the real poll. Yeah, yeah. And and t- remind us here in Canada, when it comes to those midterms how how much of a shift can there be do you, is it possible for there to be in the congress or the uh, or, or the senate just what, numerically what could happen well basically all the members of the house of representatives are up every 2 years so basically you have the entire house being voted on but generally incumbents win the democrats would have to pick up something like 30 seats or more to take control of the house that is highly unlikely to happen the Senate, a third of the Senate is up, and the Senate is, but there's many more Democrats at risk, in, in, in at-risk states in this upcoming election cycle than there are Republicans. So everyone expects Republicans to pick up, at a minimum, a seat or two in the Senate, but they possibly could do much better than that. 
When we come back, I'm going to ask Fran Coombs about NAFTA. We just talked about NAFTA with Catherine Swift, former CEO and president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, workingcanadians.ca now. And she was very much part of the uh, original debating and uh, negotiating uh, over NAFTA in 19, uh, or the free trade agreement in 1987 and 88. We'll ask Fran what he thinks is going to happen as far as NAFTA is concerned. Uh, there's a few more questions I have for him. It's, uh, I spent quite a week in Washington, but uh, he, Fran's right. A lot of it has to do with the way the stories are reported. We'll come back on The Roy Green Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. He weighs both sides of the story and chooses what's right over what's wrong. More Roy Green on the Chorus Radio Network. I'll have my answer, and uh, we'll be hearing you express your points of view in the next hour. My answer was, are people a little more calm than it might have been last weekend, or were last weekend, after the cancellation of Energy East? And um, I'm seeing responses on Twitter, I'm seeing emails that are just one after another, and it doesn't appear there's been any calm, and there's no more relaxed attitude toward the mayor of Montreal either. Uh, Warren uh, sends me this email. I'll just read part of it, and then we'll get back to Fran Coombs. Roy, I haven't spoken to you for years, but I'm still a huge fan of you and your show. It's great to listen to someone who speaks their minds and has the facts to back up your opinions, unlike the snowflakes who chant BS over and over. Regarding Energy East, if anyone thought it would be allowed with the prevailing socialists in power, they are delusional. Justin yips about being a feminist, but defends and enriches regimes that actively harm women and his other friends, the gay and lesbian people. If I was part of that demographic, I'd be a bit worried having a friend like him and his cabal. The uh, email continues. I'll read you the rest in the next hour, and we'll have lots of calls. I know, I know. And uh, nothing has affected me as much as the letter, that the open letter that the Premier of Saskatchewan, Brad Wall, wrote. I know the Premier's leaving, but the letter that he wrote, the open letter he wrote, is, uh, it reminds me of a much more strong version of Ralph Klein saying in 2002, I think it was, don't push us too hard. Fran Coombs, managing editor of Rasmussen Reports, is with us, and we're talking about the, uh, the week that was in the White House and beyond. One of the things that's going on, Fran, of course, is the negotiations over NAFTA, and the question is, will President Trump uh, believe enough in NAFTA, see enough potential in NAFTA, to want to retain it as far as he, as long as he gets what he wants in the negotiations, or will it be a situation where he says, nope, don't want it, it's gone? If, if you were to t- toss a coin in the air, uh, what does it come down uh, on, Fran? Does it come down on NAFTA survives or not? Let me push this, let me click this thing here. Sorry, Fran, go ahead. I would say yes. I think uh, NAFTA survives, but I think uh, our negotiating partners have to be realistic. I mean, I think they, everyone knows Trump enough to know, uh, well enough to know, that he will walk away from NAFTA in a heartbeat if he doesn't think he, he's getting a better deal. I mean, he walked away from the Paris Accords. Uh, he ended this week by killing the subsidies for Obamacare. Uh, he's walking away from the Iran deal. Uh, this is a guy who is not afraid to fly into the face of the uh, of the powers that be in the media and do things. So I would say NAFTA survives, but I think our negotiating partners need to be realistic when they go to the table, too. 
All right, so uh, we'll we'll know very shor- shortly as far as that is concerned. And uh, talking about economic matters, I saw something um, from Rasmussen that I found very interesting, and that was as far as the success is concerned of the economy, the American economy, during the tenure of Donald Trump, Americans give Obama as much credit as they give Donald Trump for that. What's that about? Well, I think you can imagine which voters say which, Roy. Uh, but yes, basically we ask the question, the improving economy, is it due more to Trump or is it due more to policies that Obama implemented before he left office? And basically it was, it was even. 45% said Trump deserves the credit. 45% say Obama's policies deserve credit. And um, But as you can well imagine, Democrats overwhelmingly credited uh, uh, Obama and Republicans overwhelmingly credited Trump. Um, we are also seeing, I think we're seeing an interesting shift in, in un- so-called unaffiliated voters. Uh, I think I think unaffiliated voters in our surveys more and more um, dem- that more and more Democrats are starting to identify as unaffiliated, uh, and I think that's indicative. Of, I don't have any, I can't prove that, but when I see a lot of our surveys, I'm seeing big, we're seeing big changes in some of the traditional questions um, that we changes we haven't seen before, and I'm thinking that. There's a lot of unhappiness, a lot of unreported unhappiness in the Democratic Party, and that a lot of Democrats, particularly young Democrats, are not identifying with the party as much. They are saying, we are independents, although they still lean Democrat, obviously, in their ideology. Now, one more question for you. Do you expect that Barack Obama is going to be heard from more as Mr. Trump continues to dismantle uh, Obama's heritage? I mean, they've, they've just bought a condo. In Manhattan, they have a house in Washington. Do you expect to hear more from Barack Obama? Yeah, I do, Roy, but I don't know if that's going to do the Democrats any good. I mean, I think the younger, ambitious men and women in the Democratic Party have to be very frustrated that they can't get rid of the the older generation, if you will. I Nancy mean, Pelosi. Yeah, Schumer. Pelosi, Schumer, uh, Bernie, and certainly Bernie. Hillary Clinton. Bernie. Yeah, what's, I didn't think Bernie would hang in this long. I didn't think he'd have the staying power, but apparently, on the left, he sure does. Right. Well, as you know, the so-called resistance, I mean, these folks are opposed to anything that Trump will do, and he yeah. uh, represents, I think he represents that better than any leading Democrat. Sure, the socialist who has three beautiful homes on the lake and drives limousines. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and who's never had a job in his life. Never had a job in his life. Taxpayers, on the taxpayers' dime. Uh, I knew Bernie's uh, legacy, political legacy in Vermont pretty well. I didn't live too far from Burlington, Vermont, for quite a few okay, years. Okay, so you know that you know the man. I, I, know, I know of the man. I haven't met him personally, but I know stories that are told about him. Fran, thank you so much. It's always great speaking with you. Okay, a pleasure talking to you too, Roy. Take care. Take care. Fran Coombs, Managing Editor of Rasmussen Reports on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.